Welcome to the MTB Tribe Podcast, your trail map for the world of mountain biking. And now, I'll introducing your host, Gareth Beckett. Howdy, mountain bikers. Thanks for being here and welcome to episode number 92 of the MTB Tribe Podcast. I'm here as always to help you find out more about mountain biking, how to get out in the trails, keep you stoked and hopefully learn a little more about mountain biking and the people involved. So thanks for tuning in and thanks for being here. I really do appreciate it. Now, I just want to say a quick congratulations to everybody that attended the Vitus Gravity Enduro over the weekend past there. Um, it looked like an amazing event and well done to everybody that got involved. And of course, Greg Callahan and Killian Grant were the two top guys there as always racing hard and it was a very, very close race for those two. But well done, guys. Um, you obviously brought a lot of excitement to the race and it was pretty awesome to see that. Now, in the ladies, well, well done, Leah Monsell. Again, you're, you're killing it. And uh, Hannah Harvey, very, very well done. And Hannah Mullen, third. These girls are going so well. So well done, everybody, and congratulations for showing your support there. Now, to everybody that's heading to Ravensdale, this weekend for the first tracks, Vitus MTB Enduro. Um, have a good time. Enjoy it. I hope everything goes well. It's on the 22nd and 23rd of June this weekend. So um, I hope uh, everybody goes well there and everybody has a good time. So enjoy it, folks, and um, have a great, great weekend there. Now on to today's show, and um, I am so stoked to welcome back Alistair Beckett to episode number 92. Now we had Alistair back on the podcast in episode 36 almost a year ago. Um, so we got him back on to chat about founding the mountain bike design and solutions company called Redburn Design and about co-funding and building the very, very cool new mountain bike brand Forbidden. Now, as I say, Alistair was on the show probably over a year ago back on episode number 36. So it was great to get him back on to chat about how things have been changed over the last year for him and his young company, Redburn Design. When Alistair was on the show last, we chatted about his history with building the Nukeproof brand and his work with Chain Reaction Cycles. Um, but at this time, Alistair had just left Chain Reaction Cycles to start his own venture called Redburn Design. And after he started a social post about it being a year since being on the podcast with us, um, I had to reach out and get him back, get an update about how things had been going and the very exciting launch of the Forbidden Bike brand. Now, if you haven't seen that brand Go to the show notes, folks, and check that out, mtb-tribe.com. The links are there on Alistair's episode. Um, it's an awesome-looking frame. It's an awesome-looking company. I love the brand. Um, so it's great to see Alistair doing that. So Alistair was super kind to set aside some time and come back on the show to share a story of working hard, building brands, and co-founding the Forbidden Bike Company. So let's get on with it, and let's welcome Alistair to the MTB Tribe podcast. Hi, Alistair. How are you, sir? Welcome to MTB Tribe Podcast. It's good to have you back on the show, dude. Hi, Gareth. Yeah, thanks for having me back. It's it's good to catch up <laughs> 12 months further on than the, than the last time we spoke. So I'm excited to I'm excited to tell you all about what I've been up to. I hear it's been it's been a year, man, since you've been on the podcast. That's crazy. Yeah, yeah it's flown past. Yeah. Yeah. Like we're on episode 92 now. You were episode 36. Yeah, yeah, you nearly had the, you nearly had your centenary now. You're, you're, you're close to. Yeah, <laughs> I'm wondering whether 
exactly. I'm wondering what to do. Will I do something special? Will I do? I don't know. But I don't even really. I don't even really celebrate my own birthday, so I'm not sure if I will. <laughs> this, this is more important. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Uh, well, Alistair, you were on last time. You were talking about nuke proof and building bikes with nuke proof and designing the brand and doing all that and then at that time you had just started your own company redburn design um and you're a year into that now um so tell us a wee bit about that how's that been going over the last year and anybody that kind of doesn't know your background tell us a wee bit about how you started that yeah, well, I guess they can they can go back and listen to episode thirty six. That's it, man. That's <laughs> the, the easiest point. way to do it. <laughs> um, yeah, so I it was January twenty eighteen when I left um, my previous role uh, at Nukeproof, and and then yeah, like we said, I decided to start Redburn Design. So um, that that kind of happened pretty much straight away. Um, what have I been doing over the last year? Kind of a mixture of everything, trying to get the company off the ground and, and trying to find some clients to work with and, and things have, have, are going really well now. I've got a, a list of a couple of different clients that I've been working with. Um, again, it's it's all product design and consultation and that, that sort of thing um, that we've been working on. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll talk a bit about that, I guess, later on in the podcast. Um, yeah. Well, that that's good. And, you know, obviously it was a lead on from what you've done with, uh, CRC and with Nukeproof and and stuff like that. So you made the decision to step out and go on your own. Um, so you just a brief overview of what you do. So you help brands grow. So if somebody wants to grow a brand, um, get into the industry, they, they contact yourself. Um, so what does that kind of consist of? Yeah, well, it's most. I guess my, my background is in originally in engineering and design, um, and then with my time at, uh, at CRC and at Nukeproof, I went through a whole pile of different roles from design and engineering right through to product management and brand management. So I'm, I'm using a lot of those skills, and, and even prior to that, I had experience with uh, race teams as a mechanic and on the road and arranging travel and all that. So I'm, I'm trying to use all of those skills to to kind of set me up to offer something to the clients that I do have. And, and generally the, the, the guys that are coming and approaching me are companies that, you know, maybe they want to diversify into a different segment um, that's outside of their norm, uh, you know, and they want someone to help with the design of a product or they just want some advice and support on, you know, I've got an idea, I've got a design, but how do I get that manufactured or what's the best way to, you know, to go about that sort of stuff. So it's, it's really a, it's hard to put a blanket over it all, but I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm offering quite a, a broad range and, and some of the projects that I've been asked to help with have been very, have been very broad, you know, but the, the brunt of it is, is either, you know, you can either pigeonhole it under product design or under, you know, consultation and, and like well, consultations a bit broad, I suppose as well, but um, business support and operation support is kind of the way it's been going. Yeah. Yeah, cool. And you only do this within the mountain bike industry? Pretty much, yeah. Yeah, within the cycle industry, you know, my background is very much in, in mountain bike uh, in that segment. Uh, however, I'm doing, you know, one or two projects that are slightly left field of it, but it's always bicycle related. Um, I'm just, yeah, I'm not I'm not geared up to, uh, I don't think I would add much value to a project outside of the mountain bike segment just yet, maybe maybe in the mm-hmm. future. But uh, for now, I'm sticking to stick to what you know. That's what they mm-hmm. was always told. Yeah, <laughs> certainly. Yeah, yeah. And you have um, you've been helping the forbidden guys um, mm-hmm. with that bike, which looks absolutely amazing. And we'll we'll get into that. Um, uh, they're Canadian guys, aren't they? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the company. Well, essentially, the company's founded by 
myself and a, and a well, it's a, it's a British guy called Owen. Um, however, he's officially a Canadian resident. Resident. He's been living there for a long time. Um, but Owen and I met many many years ago. Whenever I was working as a mechanic um, with Ben Reed, we we had signed a deal with Norco um, back in two thousand and nine, I think. To so ten years ago to essentially use their frames as our as our team um, uh, bike brand uh, mm-hmm. and, and at that point Owen had just started he moved to Canada to start working with Norco um, bikes by, at the time so we yeah he was the he was the lead engineer on on the new wave the new generation of downhill bike and that was the bike that we were uh, essentially running as as the team's chassis so uh, so we, we met at that point and we, we we both worked in the industry for a long time and we would bump into each other and and uh, and keep in touch. So that's that's kind of how Forbidden ended up coming about. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's a cool looking brand. And um, yeah. so did he get in contact with you? How did that all work? Yeah, we. Uh, when did that all happen? I think whenever I was considering my position at Nukeproof and starting to think about what I would do afterwards, you know. I, I was talking to Owen anyway. We were we were sort of in touch, and he had left his previous job as well, and and was kind of working out. We were in similar positions. He was trying to work out what it was he was going to do, but he had an idea for this this new bike design, um, and he'd mm-hmm. gone off and done a lot of the design of the of the bike. He'd done a whole pile of different chassis designs and a bit of research. You know, I suppose he'd taken a bit of a sabbatical for for six to twelve months to time off to work out what he was going to do um, after that, and. You know, he knew that I was considering leaving my job, um, and you know, I told him my plans to set up Redburn Design, um, and he thought, okay, he'd have a similar thought as well to do something similar, but decided against it. Um, he didn't want to, he didn't want the hassle of of running a you know a design agency or a consultation agency and and mm-hmm. chasing clients and doing all that stuff. Whereas to me, I didn't mind that. You know, I kind of saw that as quite exciting. Um, so we, you know, we had slightly different views on things, but. At the bottom line was he still had a design that he wanted to turn into a brand and into a company, um, and we agreed that you know essentially he would, I would I would assist him with that um, as far as the you know Owen didn't have quite the same experience in in Asia with the you know talking to the vendors finding the manufacturers you know that kind of thing so I was I was kind of hoping that I would bring that to the table and and we could we could work out what the rest from there um, so it's a funny mm-hmm. it's a funny one I guess most companies start with with a, a I guess a view to what the brand will be and how to market it and then they worry about the product afterwards whereas with Forbidden the product was was done and dusted and we both had the experience in the product design side and and the manufacturing side but it was all of the it was all of the business and the marketing and the sales that we were we were lacking on so we kind of did things a bit backwards with forbidden but um but it's working out <laughs> it's working out so far yeah we'll yeah so i certainly so what stage was was the brand at when when you decided to take it on had they done anything at all was anything on market and market or anything or no no it was basically they didn't have a name it was really just a one at that point um right so he had he had the design done. He had his three D model um, completed in I think in one size, um, and then we we started to talk about it. But at that stage, there was no name, there was no logo, there was no real plan of what it would be. You know, I think it was really just, you know, I, the way I see it is, if you imagine where one was at at that point, 
you know, he had this design, he had all these thoughts in his head, but he had no one to really talk about <laughs> about it to, if you know mm-hmm. what I mean. So he kind of needed someone else to come in and, and offer, I guess, a, a contradictory opinion or say, look, what are your thoughts on things? How do you think it should happen? You know, and and it kind of just started to snowball from there. Um, it was funny at the, at the start because, he, you know, obviously he spent a lot of time and invested his own time and money into, you know, doing this design and and it was quite a complex you know it is quite a complex frame and there'd been a a lot of work had gone into it so he didn't really want to just come and show me his you know show me the product and say look this is what I've got do you want to be involved you know we had this kind of (laughs) not awkward but this kind of you know cards close to your chest area at the start where you know he was like look I've got a design I'll tell you about it but I can't show you it until you're in and you know and I had to go well okay look I can I need to decide if I want to to take time away from you know the other jobs that I've got to to put time into forbidden Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know and it's hard to do that without seeing the product you know so it was was funny you know looking back now it was quite funny at the time but uh, yeah there was this chicken and the egg situation where you know and then eventually you know he he had me sold on the product before I'd seen it you know essentially Mm -hmm. which is what gave me a real boost and, and thinking this this is a really special product and project you know it could be it could be really really big and um so yeah he he would be the first to tell you he's not a he's not a very good salesperson but he he sold me that day you know (laughs) it was quite good just listening to you know he's very tech focused and engineering focused and you know with my background i was able to understand a lot of it and you know to me i was like jesus this is this is baffling you know this is this is cutting edge stuff and it's really advanced and again a lot of this was before this was long before um the the high pivot thing had really kicked off in the world cup you know nobody had won Mm -hmm. a world cup on a high pivot bike at this point you know we were i don't know when this would have been this was probably 2017 this was about near the the sort of final quarter of 2017 we were having these discussions Mm -hmm. so quite a while ago yeah wow and is that what owen done at north did he did he design as as his background there yeah he, he was i think all of their full suspension uh, frames that was his job he was the design engineer on that stuff so he was i think he was responsible for you know but um for for every aspect of it so not even not just the the design of it but all of the suspension the kinematics you know i think he he was very hands-on with that and you know he worked there for a long time and worked his way up and you know it was a very good job but i think um it's such a big company or you know they've got such a broad range of bikes you know it was it was very easy to get swamped in it and end up working you know, every day, every hour that's available. And, you know, I think he decided that he wanted a, he wanted a change and something fresh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And I suppose with Owen coming to you and you know, in his past and everything like that, you know, you didn't really have to, cons- well, I suppose you did have to consider where you wanted to work with him. And obviously, as you say, take yeah. time away from your other projects. But um, is that what, would you normally do that with a brand? You have to kind of figure out where they're at and what they want to do and yeah yeah for sure i mean you have to find somebody that fits with you and i also have to fit with their with with their business or you know depending it doesn't matter who the client is really you know it's the forbidden one's a bit different because what what started off as essentially you know it could have been a client but it's it it developed into me being more hands-on and it's almost a you know it's almost a separate business to redburn now Mm. um just the way things worked out but um, with most of my clients, yeah, I'll, I'll do quite a bit of, you know, communication with them and talking. And, and some of them are, you know, they start off as a friendship with somebody that, you know, you're not even talking about business at that point and that it then develops. And others, you know, I get a contact or an email or a phone call from someone and it's, it's they're asking, look, can you help with this? And, 
and and yeah, you have to. You spend. I spend a lot of time on a Skype call, you know, or on the phone with with a prospective client, just talking and learning about their business. Because I guess that what they're telling, you know, if someone comes to me and says, "Here's a problem that I have," you know, I like to dig a bit deeper to see, well, what is the what is the real problem? Because what they, te- you know, I suppose it's like when you go to the GP and you say, "I've got a sore ear" or something like that. You know, generally the. Mm-hmm. You know, you might be describing the symptom, but you're not describing the problem. You know, and that's where I'm trying to get to the bottom of. Okay, well, what is what is the the issue that you need resolved here, rather than just describing your immediate fixes that you think might be right? Because that that's kind of the way I do it. And some of those conversations will go down an avenue where I decide, you know what, I'm not a good fit for you, or I don't think I can add value to to the problem, and you'd be better off considering this. You know, and I've I've turned down jobs before and you know and made suggestions and said well actually I think you should go this route with it um and that's worked out well for the client other times it hasn't you know and and so, but generally the generally there's always a way where I can help and can assist and um some of those are long-term projects some of them are very short but you know and I don't really the short-term projects I don't really get much benefit out of but the, the you know the customer does or the client does so to me I'm still I'm still satisfied because well they're they've I fixed a problem for them and it might have only taken a couple of days of my time but it now sets them back in their path and and hopefully they'll then talk to someone else or they may come back and look for another project further down the line you know so it's it can be a complex enough process and and I guess you know it's something at the start when I when I first started Redburn that I I, I kind of was aware might be you know time consuming and might be something that I would have to deal with but I didn't have any idea of just the complexity of those conversations if that makes sense mm-hmm. yeah certainly no I, I'm sure it is difficult um, it definitely wouldn't be easy um, so with Forbidden then um, so Owen comes to you can you take us through the process kind of what happened and how you how you move forward with the brand then yeah, where do I start? Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's been it's been going on for a long time. Um, well, the first th- yeah, if once we'd sort of agreed, right? Look, we both we're both interested in this. Let's let's form a you know let's let's form a company and start trying to to get this thing made. You know, the first I guess the first hurdle was well, we need to find someone to make the frame for us. So I think, like I'd said in the last podcast, you know, I think I finished up my previous job on a Wednesday, and on that Friday I got on a flight to Taiwan and met Owen there in Taiwan, and that was the start of of our our hunt for suppliers for Forbidden. Wow. Um, so we had, you know, we'd had lots of Skype calls, we had lots of communication before then, working out what we think is the right way for things to go. Um, but you know. I couldn't do a whole lot. I was still working full time at New Proof at the time. So, you know, for me, it was just conversations that were happening in the evenings when I'd get home from work. And, you know, my, my wife was cracking up because I was I was working all day, coming home and just jumping on to Skype calls with Owen for two or three hours at a time. So there wasn't there wasn't much uh, family yeah, life went wow. on for a while. But mm-hmm. um, but, you know, it, it needed to it needed to happen. And so we yeah, we jumped on a flight, went over and we had a list of of factories that we, you know, we thought we wanted to speak to and that we thought could could do a good job of making the bike and you know luckily the design was pretty much finished you know we knew that we you know i'd say finished it was 95 percent finished there's always going to be some stuff that you that you leave loose for the factory to come back and say right well this is the way we manufacture so if you tweak the design you know that, that's one of the things i learned with in my career at Nukeproof was that if you go to a factory with a design, you say, this is the design, I want you to make it exactly how it is. The, the factory will make it exactly how it is, but you'll you'll then get a bill at the end for a colossal amount of money because you've asked them to make things the way you've designed when actually if you 
learn a bit more about their manufacturing methods and how they do things sometimes you can you know you'll find an area where there's a compromise and you can say well actually that we can change that part of the design because it doesn't affect the finished product for us but it's going to mm-hmm. make it 10 times easier for our partner to manufacture it so there was okay. a bit of that you know that was that was part of the big discussion that we were having with each of the factories that we we went to visit so so i planned the trip arranged meetings with all these factories that some of which I'd worked with in the past, some of which I hadn't um, worked with before, but I got your contact details and went off. And, and you know, we, we were doing this without an agent or a trading company in Asia. And that's kind of the, the normal way that most people would, you know, if, if someone decides they want to get a widget manufactured in Taiwan, they go online, they search for a, an agent or a trading company, and then they say, here's my widget. Can you help me find a, a factory to make it? You know, so we were kind of doing that without, we were cutting out the middleman. Mm-hmm. Uh, essentially which is risky as, at the same time but you, you know for us it, it's worked out in our you know best interests long term because we've been able to really manage our costs and manage our suppliers and the quality of things um, it's a bit more work it's a lot more work um, to be honest at my side but it's uh, I think it's the right way it was the right way for Forbidden to go mm-hmm. yeah so we yeah we flew out met with a couple of different factories showed them the design got the feedback and and uh and then we had to make a decision about which factory we were going to go with. Uh, and, and it wasn't just one factory. You know, we had to, the way that frame is made, obviously we've got our carbon fiber front triangle and rear triangle. We had to find a supplier for those that could manufacture that those to the quality level that we wanted. We then had to find someone that could manufacture the aluminum links, you know, and some of those are forged, some parts are CNC machined, and you might have different vendors for those. And we had to find someone that could make our chain device part for, you know, all of these little things. So we, we've, got yeah. quite a, we've got quite a long list of suppliers in the end <laughs> just to get one frame made. But um, we always kind of knew, you know, we had done our planning. We knew that was going to be the case. And, and you know, we had a, a, we had a rough budget in our head of what it would, uh, would cost. But, yeah, that wasn't so much about costing. That trip was just about let's, let's in order to kick this through the next step, we need to find someone that can, can make it for us. Mm-hmm. And when you're looking at those people, when somebody comes by and says, yes, we can do this, what do you look at then? Do you look at quality? Do you look at pricing? Do you look at lead time? What, how do you make a decision there? Yeah, I guess yeah, we had to consider all of that stuff. And, and you know, we ended up going with a factory that might be, you know, maybe they're slightly more expensive um, as far as the unit costs. But actually, they were, you know, they were a factory that we were aware of, that we knew of. And, you know, we, we know this factory makes different brands frames and you kind of over time going back and forward to Taiwan and part of part of what I always invested my time in was the relationships and talking to people and learning about you know the different factories and learning about the people that are in the industry and you build up a knowledge of well this frame was made here for x amount of years then it moved to this factory you know and now they're still there and you know and you can paint a big picture and you may know that, well, actually that frame had real quality issues back in 2008, right through to such and such. So you'll start to go, well, I don't want to go with that factory unless I can be sure that they fixed that or made a change that, you know, so there was a, there was a lot of that. And I think, you know, we had a list of maybe five factories and there was one factory in particular that we were like, well, we'll go and see them. We've managed to get a meeting with them somehow because they're, they're, they're massive and they're, you know, essentially they're known as the best factory out there unless you're mm. unless you're specialized or marine or someone like that 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 has your own factory but these these guys are kind of known as the best um and we we being such a small you know it's just two guys you know going over there with her kind of looking a bit nervous and sheepish in this huge <laughs> big this huge big meeting room with this massive table you could have sat about 30 people around it 
and we're sitting there with the the guy that the contact that we managed to get hold of and then he brings the owner in and the owner comes in and he sits down and he's he doesn't say much and you're like oh jesus what's he thinking um and we, by this stage we'd already visited some of the small not well smaller factories they're still massive factories but we visited some of the smaller ones that we'd had relationships with and we had some we had some promising leads you know and we'd done a bit of a you know a factory tour with each one and seen the way they make it and we'd seen the other brands that they make and we think right okay well we could you know we could work with them and we were flying over knowing that there was one factory we thought we were going to end up working with and i was kind of hopeful both of us were happy look if we can secure this factory we'll we'll uh, we'll be we'll be happy um and and then the, the the other factory, the the big one that we'd sort of dreamed about, um, ended up coming back and saying, "Well, look, we 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 think you guys have got something special here. We'd love to we'd love to make your frame here, even mm-hmm. though you know we never do anything that's less than you know a couple of thousand pieces. You know, we're essentially going in asking for a couple of hundred frames to be made. You know, at at, at most. So we were really really blown away and surprised by that. But that almost instantly put us into a a problem with well okay well they're going to manufacture this frame to a quality level that's you know the best so now we have to find other manufacturers to make sure that everything else is the best and you know instantly before we'd really even thought about it forbidden became a, a quite a premium brand and quite a premium product and um, just mm-hmm. through the, the suppliers that we ended up working with you know and there were certain expectations that needed to be upheld you know you don't mess around with the factory you know, when you're in when you're in with a with the big dogs, you have to, you know, sharpen up your act. So we both flew back from that trip thinking, right, we really need to <laughs> sharpen our <laughs> sharpen our act up a bit here. But but it, it worked out for the for the better uh, in the end, and we're really really pleased with the product. And the good thing about that factory was they'll they'll give you a schedule at the start and say, look, it takes this long to to develop the tooling, it takes this long to test, it takes this long to paint, you know, blah, blah, blah. And and my experience with factories has always been that you'll get the schedule and then you just you just need to add two months to that because nobody ever hits the schedule. And, and yeah. that's been my experience with many, many different factories, Part, partly because of my own inexperience at the time and not, not monitoring things. But with this factory, they gave us a schedule. And, and I remember the first size tool was was opened and they, they sent us an email about two weeks early and said, oh, look, we've managed to do this a bit sooner. It was ready. And we were like, oh, right. OK, well, you know, and then we had to start paying for samples and paying for bits of tooling. And it was all that uh, it was. It's really good when someone contacts you and says your frame's ready earlier. But um, we were a bit shocked, you know, by it. but mm-hmm. it, they've they've been very true to their word and their schedule. You know, anytime they give you a schedule generally they do they do deliver on that exact day that they say which is really good for us and it, that that helps us when we're talking to our dealers now and our customers when they're asking you know look if I, this frame's out of stock i want to place an order when's it going to be in and you know we can be we can be 98 percent confident and 89 percent confident well it will be in on this date this is what the factory's told us and, and they, they generally stick to their word whereas in the past and previous jobs that i've had it's been very hard to give somebody a an accurate delivery date on something because the factory could just, especially when you're smaller, the factory could just have a problem or a bigger customer comes in and throws the weight around and you get bumped down the list and all those sorts of things go on. But uh, yeah, we're really pleased with this with this new factory that we've got. Yeah, that that's interesting. And so with that, um, I would say the cost in them went up, as you said, it became a premium product. Did you then have to rethink how the brand was going to be kind of moved forward were you going to aim at a different customer base did you think of all that kind of stuff 
we probably should have been thinking about that stuff at the time, <laughs> but we were so focused, you know, and I think we were so focused on if we get if we can get through this first phase, you know, and get the frame through development and make the bike as good as we can make it, well then the customers will be there. You know, we, that that was kind of the way we were thinking. I, you know, I think we were going at this slightly differently to maybe how some other startups would have gone at it, where they're they're thinking, well, here's a customer. You know, business books would tell you you need to find the customer first and find out what their problem is and then create the product mm-hmm. to fix their needs. Whereas yeah. we were kind of going, well, we believe this product is really special. If we can make it as good as it can possibly be, well, then the rest should be easy. You know, and that was, you know, naively, that was our, our mentality at the time. And um, whether that's right or wrong, um, it's not for me to say, but uh, that was the theory, you know, that was the, the choice that we made. And we were kind of, we were in it by that stage and we had to just kind of keep pushing. You know, it wasn't like we could make the frame any cheaper. You know, it wasn't like we were going to make it, you know, more cost effective by moving to a different factory. You were, you're saving a couple of dollars here, a couple of dollars there. It wasn't it wasn't massive differences, but mm-hmm. um, yeah, the, the the I guess the level of quality and attention that went into the frame almost dictated who the customer was going to be without us really having to do that. So, blessing and a curse at the same time, I suppose. But yeah, we we were just heads down, focused on getting the frame produced you know getting it through development through the testing mm-hmm. making because there was a lot of stuff that was unproven about it you know okay it's a high pivot and now people have a bit more confidence with them and a lot of people are racing them on the downhill circuits but this was a trail bike this wasn't a downhill bike and there were bits of the design that had never been done before and you know we were using all of Owen's experience and, and all of my experience to try and assume that well will this be will this function the way we we hope and you know we went through a lot of development as well you know throughout the process once we got the first rideable samples we changed the linkage parts all the aluminium bits we knew obviously that's just a cnc program so you can change them as much as you want within the constraints that the the carbon frame offers you and uh so with it yeah we went through quite a few different linkages to test different suspension fields different kinematics all that sort of stuff and and it was good to be able to do that it's a costly exercise you know we know that mm. now that you know it definitely the clock was ticking the whole time, you know, and we've we've accrued we've accrued costs throughout the whole process, but it's what's allowed us to make the product as good as it is now mm-hmm. and, and be confident when we talk about it. You know, had we not done that testing, we would you know you would never know. Well, is it you know could it be better? Could it be this? Could it be that? So, mm-hmm. so how yeah. does the testing work? Does the factory help with that or? Yeah. So the as far as the strength of the frame, you know, they're, they're, all of the mountain bike products have a standard ISO test that they have to pass but that that's that's easy for a, for a full suspension mountain bike the iso tests it's very easy to pass because it was designed around a, a hardtail road frame essentially back in the day um so it's very easy to pass that but yeah the factory will will work with you to a certain extent they'll work with you on additional tests and additional strength so all of that is basically they'll they'll assemble a frame into you know a front rear triangle into complete frame we have to supply them the linkage parts that obviously are made by someone else you know at, at our expense um, mm-hmm. so it's a costly process to go through but it gives you the confidence in knowing that well actually we have you know we had some benchmarks from previous frames that we kind of had seen tested or had information on um, and you know we asked the factory to help us a little bit with you know did they think it was strong enough you know but a lot of it a lot of it's kind of assumptions based on test reports from 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 the past you know mm-hmm. um but yeah they they were pretty good they'll help us uh, and we did you know we broke lots of different bits of the frame as we went through the tests and then you have to sort of replace those with you know with a newer linkage or whatever 
Uh, well, window, window cleaners outside here. If you but yeah, the factory is really good. So they help with the mechanical testing side of things, and there's all sorts of tests for you know the brake mounts, for the you know the chainring, the bottom bracket, all that. It's quite it's quite advanced. It's quite a, an in depth document that lists out all the tests that happen and, and the test results from that. But we were pretty confident with it, and and the, you know it's funny the. The, the factory ask you for a couple of things. They want a target weight from you. They go, well, what do you want this frame to weigh? You know, which is a strange question because, but they'll basically make it to that weight, you know, because it's, because it's made of carbon, they can, they can mm -hmm. add more or less layers of carbon and, you know, all that sort of stuff. So um, we, we kind of gave them a bit of a target weight um, and they came back and they said, well, actually, if you shrink the volume of the tubes, so the full model that Owen had designed, you know, after that first trip, they came back and said, well, look, if you reduce the, the, the total volume of the tubes in these areas, we can maintain the same strength, but take some weight out. So there was a lot of that that went back and forth, which was quite good. And again, that's why... Um, I don't know if you can hear that noise. That's why... It's you know, pleased that we went with this factory and that we were able to go with this factory because we knew they had a lot of experience and expertise and it's it's really allowed us to make the product as, as best as, as possible. Yeah, so it was, it's quite cool. So if they've seen something that with their process they could maybe make better or do slightly differently, they would contact you and say, look, yeah. maybe think of this or think of that. Exactly, yeah, yeah, exactly. And that, and that you don't get that with every factory. You know, sometimes the factories, all they're thinking about is just get it through production as quickly as possible so we can start charging money, you know, and, and getting getting bills paid. So whereas this factory, we're prepared to take their time with us and, and you know, look, okay, make it make it right and, and make these changes based off what we're suggesting. And then, you know, and, you know, because we had Owen there who was so switched on with all the design stuff, he was able to make those changes and, you know, and, and improve the product, which is, it's a, it's a tough process when you've done all that work to create the design at the start. You know, you don't really want to have to go back in and change it, but it was it was for the best, and it was definitely uh, it's definitely made a really strong product. Mm -hmm. Yeah, certainly. So, talking about costing and stuff, then um, were you having to put money into this at this stage? Were you having to? Yeah. Because, you know, how long has it taken? So that's it's over a year anyway since you started. Oh, we started it. Yeah, we flew. Yeah, oh yeah. It's it's got to be. 18 months to 24 months i think owen started the design pretty much two two years ago um, mm. and then when did we we started talking probably 18 months ago and then yeah what are we in now june yeah it's it's definitely it's definitely been 18 months on the on the go yeah. um and yeah we had to put you know some some money into the business to get it through the development side which was the savings or you know when we got we at the time we got some other people to to kind of loan us a bit of money for that um, and then we got to the point where there was, you know, enough, I guess, value to the business that we could take on a small, a small loan to get us through the uh, the first production. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's it's been an expensive thing, but we, you know, we've always had, you know, our cash flow document worked out, and we've planned everything as much as we can um, to to show that the numbers work. And you know, I think with every business, there's going to be, you know, it's going to be tough to get you through the first phase, but after that, that you know, it should start to. To make sense but you know for sure being a small company those the hidden costs that come through things that we we didn't plan for or weren't aware of those are the ones that can really cripple you and, and there's been a couple of those that have come through and it's definitely tough to swallow um when you get a bill for something that you're like well why is that twice what it should be or why is that cost come through when we didn't anticipate it but but we're, we're working through those and um nothing's nothing's unsurmountable i suppose is what we've learned you can always mm -hmm. there's always a way you know there's always a solution to to a problem so just takes yeah. a bit of creative 
thinking <laughs> and a bit of sweating. <laughs> oh, for sure, for sure. Um, I would say so. There's the odd sleepless night in there, you know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so you uh, they, they design the frame and then so when it's ready, did they send you a finished product? How does that work? How do you test the bike on the trail? Yeah. How so, does that all go about? Yeah. Whenever the when the frame factory is making the first couple of samples for their machine tests, they make a couple of samples for for us to do ride te- you know for us to ride test. So the first tool we only opened one size. We opened a small size at the start. Um, that was the size that Owen. Uh, rides although our small is quite big so it's comparable to most people's mediums mm-hmm. um so they opened that we yeah we ordered a couple of small frames and those i think got shipped across to canada to be built and at the same time we'd had to get the, all the hardware parts had to be cnc'd um as samples as well and we use a small factory in china to do those those cnc parts because they're very quick you know they can turn them around very quickly mm-hmm. um so yeah we got you got our first rideable sample and that was the bike that um was first seen um at crankworks last year so nearly 12 months ago that sort of that first rideable sample it had had a lot of testing on it um i think owen had ridden it and he'd given it to a load of local guys around him that are you know a lot harder on bikes than he is and so lots of people had ridden it put it through you know time on the trail we'd you know we'd, we'd been looking for any little issues that might arise or any technical bits or creaks or whatever might might come from it um and just trying to put miles on it and and everything went pretty well the, the only real change that was made there so the carbon parts weren't changed basically from that point forward from the first samples that were produced we were really happy with the strengths with the test results so the carbon bit didn't actually change um other than adding a couple of little uh, rev nuts for a, a fender on the back mm-hmm. um the linkage parts owen got a couple of those made he went and tested those and and worked with Fox were very good to, in, in their support and they came along and offered different shock tunes and, and they I think they actually rode the bikes and tested back to back with Owen on that so so that was really good and that helped us get to a point where we were confident in the shock tune um, and by that stage we then had decided we'll open you know a medium and a large tool um, after that because we knew we were going to have to do that and the longer we held off on opening those tools the, you know the longer it was going to take us to get to production. Mm-hmm. So we, we opened those and I remember picking up my, the large sample to bring back here um, for, for me to test ride. And that was, I think, at Taichung Bike Week last year, possibly. Um, so, yeah, it was quite a while quite a while ago. But I remember it was really exciting bringing that home and building it up. And, and I actually took it into the guys at MacMonkey with all the, with a, a box full of bits and two carbon, you know, a front and rear triangle and uh, I have loads of photographs of the day we were building it up with with Lewis and Kieran in the shop. It was really it's exciting. It was definitely exciting to build it up and go out for a ride. Yeah, yeah, cool. And did them guys close the store? Secret big uh, curtain up? No, no, not at all. We were no. <laughs> <laughs> they were open business as usual for them. But uh, I don't think was it a weekend. I can't remember. No, they were open as usual. Um, we you know we weren't trying to to do too much testing in secret either. You know we were fairly. I, I was fairly public about it, like going out and riding. The bike with i think when you live in ireland it's a bit easier because it doesn't have the same level of of industry um cycle industry stuff that you would over maybe in, in the mainland of england um, but yeah and, and the same with owen like he lives on vancouver island um so they were able to test in relative privacy mm-hmm. um, but yeah i took it out and rode it around all the different places that i would ride here and and, and took some time to fettle with it and change shocks and do all that sort of stuff here too yeah and uh, 
It's interesting because I was going to ask you about the the likes of the other components, your shocks and your rims. And so how do you go about choosing that kind of stuff? Because I suppose a brand like Fox, um, they won't throw a Fox shock on a bike that they think's no use. Yeah. Uh, you know, so, yeah. so how do, do you have to work closely with them? How does that all come about? Yeah, well, for us, you know, we, we knew that our, our first product was going to be a frame set. So we, all we really needed to do was secure a, a rear shock that was going to come with it. You know, forks and wheels and all that stuff were purely for us to build, to ride. Um, and with the shock testing, yeah, we, we had, I mean, we both had relationships with Fox and Rock Shocks already. So we were able to, to make the calls and say, like, this is what we're doing. It's a new product. It's a new brand. You know, we, we want to go down the shock testing route with you because we want to make sure that we've got our, our options open um, and it, of the two you know well we contacted more than two, you know we contacted DVO and a few others in, in Cane Creek we, we, we spoke with everybody about it but we I think deep down we knew that we wanted either RockShox or Fox on there because those were the mm-hmm. most mainstream as far as us you know we had to secure you know we had to make sure that we had the best chance of selling the frames you know and DVO and Cane Creek are, are you you know a bit more unique there'd be a you know would be customer preference with those whereas with a RockShox or a Fox you couldn't really go too far wrong so we reached out to both and Fox were the ones that came back and were a bit more supportive and, and said, okay, look, we'll help you with, with some customization with some testing and, and, and that. So that was, that was the decision made, you know, at that point we could have gone down either road, but you know, Fox couldn't have been more helpful with, with things. And just, you know, it's not saying we won't ever do something with RockShox. You know, I have a really strong relationship with RockShox and it is something we will, we will try and introduce. But um, for us at the time, especially when, when our, you know, our cash flow was we at that point all we were doing was paying out. You know, we weren't selling anything, we weren't bringing exactly, any money. Yeah. So we, we had to be careful as well about you know what was going to be cost effective and and things like that. So, uh, but yeah, Fo- I mean, Fox were really helpful and and their their products. You know, it's very hard to pick apart a Fox and a Rockshox and say which one's better. They're they're different and both really good. So, um, mm-hmm. like I said, we would have been pretty pleased with both with both options. But. Cool, cool. And at this stage, Alistair, if, if you took the bike out and you really didn't like it <sighs> at, at this stage, what would your options have been? Were, you know, were you and Owen, yeah. were you committed to making this thing work or would well, you walked away if you had to? It was a, yeah, it was a nervous time. Had we, you know, I suppose that's why we only opened one size at the start. We opened one size of tooling, the small one. And that's, you know, so Owen had ridden it and he'd got a whole handful of local shops and local riders to him you know guys that he could you know trust not to blab too much about it and um, he got them to ride it and generally the feedback was positive on them so that was the first big relief because yeah had the frame arrived and if it rode like a bag of rubbish you know we would have had to go back to the john board and work out well, what options what options are still there you know and mm-hmm. there was only there's only so much we could have done to change the linkage parts you know the aluminium parts like i said we could have changed those and tweaked them but there's only so much space within that frame to do that. So you, you would have hit the ceiling very quickly. Uh, but yeah, luckily it, it, that didn't happen. I don't know. Uh, we did have this discussion, Owen and I, about what would happen if it doesn't ride very well. And <laughs> we, we tried to just, we just looked forward and said, let's not worry about that until the time comes. Um, so yeah, I don't, I don't know what we would have, what, what would have happened. It would have been an expensive and costly mistake to walk away from, but uh, luckily it didn't happen. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, cool. And everything I've seen about the bike, it looks amazing. And uh, 
like the feedback you were getting from the guys riding it was all positive. Um, did any of them come back with all their feedback? Well, I would do this. Yeah, we got a mixture. That. Yeah, we did. We got a mixture of stuff and and a lot of you know some of the feedback we were able to act on and we were able to cha- you know make some small changes. Um, but generally, it was just it was just positive feedback. I think that it was probably a, a bit too progressive. The suspension was a bit too the kinematics were too progressive at the start, so we had to back that off um, with different linkages. So that that cost us a little bit. Um, but it, it, it worked out in the long run. Um, other things like frame protection, we you know we we opened a, a tool for a, a chain stay mold, you know, to mm-hmm. try and um, you know prevent chain, well, not prevent chain slap, but to take the noise out of the chain slap and protect the the carbon rear triangle. And we ended up being not that happy with that, you know, and feedback from both ourselves and from the other people that wrote it was that it was still a bit noisy. Um, so we had to sort of redo that and change things up. A little bit um so there's been a few things that have had to change along the way but um but no generally the bike's been like it's been really well received and um even now you know the first batch of frames that we've sold to dealers and customers you know the feedback there has been really good they've all been really impressed when it arrives at how you know because essentially it's it's our first punt at a frame you know two mm-hmm. relatively unknown guys in the industry or you know making a frame you would be if it was me i'd be very cautious you know buying a buying a product from someone that doesn't really have much of a visible track record, you know, albeit you can find out a bit about it if you dig around, but it's not like we've got a big specialized logo on, on a, you know, people mm-hmm. where people are aware of us. Um, so the, the dealers that have kind of made a commitment to us and helped us by ordering stock and, and representing the brand, you know, that that's, that's been really huge for us. So we, and, and again, we've listened to feedback from them, not so much on, you know, it hasn't been so much about the product, but even the way that we do business and the way that we handle the sales with them and, and our operations, you know, we're constantly, you know, it's, it's one of the first things we would we would say to, to a new dealer that comes on board is that, you know, we're an open book and we're trying to learn as much as we can from them um, about the way we process everything. So so yeah. there's been lots of good feedback from people and, and people have been yeah really supportive of of, of us trying to, to get this off the ground and get it going. Yeah, yeah, no, sounds sounds amazing. So the bikes, the, the so you're selling just frames at the minute, is that yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, just frame okay. kits at the minute. Yeah. Okay, and they they are available to purchase now. Yeah, yeah, the first batch landed in April, um, and we we sold out of size large really quickly. Actually, we had, you know, we had, we had ordered more larges knowing that that would be a popular size, but the uh, yeah we we sold out of those really quickly, and um, so we still have some medium, not very much. We still have some mediums and smalls in stock. Um, and then the next batch is due in August. Um, so already we have dealers that have pre pre ordered about fifty percent of that, which is which is brilliant um, for us. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, they'll land in August. And the the at the minute we just have the small, medium, and large size. The extra large tooling again because of the costs, we held off opening that tooling um, until a few months ago. So that's that that's now done. It's in its fin- it's in its final stages of testing, and the the extra large will be available from around November onwards this year. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. And as far as dealers go, um, did you handpick them yourself? Did you contact them? Uh, initially, initially, yeah, we did actually have um, both Owen and I had you know some relationships with some local dealers. And at the start, we didn't really know you know we didn't know what way it was going to go. You know, we weren't sure how much support you know or we would get from the from the customers uh, as far as you know sales and interest goes. But we knew that. We had dealers that we had relationships with, um, and that could do a good job. And I, I, you know, the dealers that we have in the UK are guys that 
that I knew and I, I thought would do a really good job of helping represent us and helping grow the brand. Um, and so that's where we started off with those guys. And they, they all made, you know, big commitments early on, which is really, you know, to us, like we're really grateful for that. Um, and then over time, once we started selling and promoting, we got lots of inquiries from different dealers. Um, and obviously we need to be careful. You know, we can't just accept, you know, an, an order from a dealer that lives two miles down the road from one of our other ones. You know, that's not really, we wanted to be quite picky and choosy and make sure that the dealers that we do partner up with are are getting the message across, right? So they're doing the custom builds. Because obviously we just do a frame kit. We don't do a complete bike. So we wanted someone that could really help take you know add that experience to the customer and really build the bike the way they want um, and that's why we picked you know the shops that we that we did pick um, and we're you know we're continuing now looking at dealers in you know further afield so we're looking at dealers in Europe we're talking to those and we're talking to um, distributors in Australia and New Zealand uh, at the minute as well that we're hoping to secure because um, we get so many I suppose for us all we all we want to do is follow the customer requests and we're getting a lot of customer requests from Australia and New Zealand you know almost more mm. so than anywhere else which is which is strange you know to us it tells us there's, there's obviously demand out there but um, we can't fulfill that demand from our UK warehouse or a Canadian warehouse you know it doesn't make sense and it's not very environmentally mm -hmm. friendly so we you know we what we need a, I guess we need to partner up with someone out there and, and we'll we'll ship them product straight from the factory in Asia um, and it, so that that's there's all this stuff that's going on that's helping us slowly grow our uh, our network of customers um, but it, it's taken a lot of time and again like I said earlier on it's been a big learning curve for us to try and you know I don't my, my background in sales is non-existent other than being a little bit involved in, in observing what was going on with with new obviously it had its its dealer network in the UK and, and further afield and you know I would be in touch with that but I wasn't I wasn't hands-on with it so uh, i've had to kind of learn all that stuff for myself mm -hmm. so yes yeah. no it's you're you're juggling a lot of balls there for sure um, <laughs> um so uh, are you happy with the end product are you satisfied with it yeah yeah I, no, i'm really really pleased with how the, the how the whole thing has finished up and, and how it's going the direction that it's going now you know yeah there's been challenges along the way and if we could go back and redo some things we would definitely do them slightly differently um but that's just part of doing something for the first time so uh, yeah we're, i think we're, we're both really pleased with how things are looking and long may it continue hopefully but it's yeah it's yeah. it's a lot of work i think our, we've got some big challenges ahead of us now to try and scale, you know, to allow us to scale the business up and, and reach all those customers. It's very frustrating because we, we can see lots of people that want to buy the product, but we can't, either we can't get the product to them or we can't get our hands on the product quick enough or, you know, something like that. So we're, you know, we've got big challenges, but it's all going, it's all going the right direction, luckily. Mm -hmm. No, that that's amazing. And are you, because I'm sure the, and you'll probably know this with, um, with nuke proof and stuff but i'm sure the the number of customers buying complete bikes is a lot lot larger than a, yeah. you know a customer base buying a frame for sure yeah um, but i suppose it's a good way for you to validate the interest in the brand and the you know the lifestyle associated with the brand is that how you kind of looked at that as was it mainly a cost thing that you didn't you didn't do a complete yeah. bike initially yeah pretty much it's a you know risk and cost i suppose the yeah. You know, all we could afford to do, well, we couldn't really even afford to do it, was, was to do frame sets. 
you know, the, the cost, obviously, if, if for us to do complete bikes, we're basically a glorified retailer. So we're we're just buying the build kit from Fox or SRAM or, or Shimano or whoever, you know, and we're carrying that stock and that risk. And then we're hoping to sell that to the end customer. And, you know, that's what our bike shops are doing for us. You know, our partner stores are, are doing that same process. They're making equipment to buy our frame and then they're building they're building the bike the way that the customer wants, you know, and for us to mm-hmm. do complete bikes, we're going to have to probably make a take a punt on what the spec is that we think the customer wants. And like I said at the very start, we didn't really know our customer when we started off. We knew the product. Uh, so we're trying to learn who our customer is and what their preferences are, you know, and what way they build their bikes when they go into the shop or if they buy a frame and build it themselves. You know, we're, we're, we're observing very closely what fork they're putting on, what wheels they're putting on, all that stuff. And, and a lot of that changes depending on where they are in the world. Um, so for us to do, you know, yeah, we'd love to do, we'd love to to do some complete bikes, but we we need to learn how we would spec those and how we would even from an operations point of view how best to handle that because shipping bikes around the world is a big it's quite a big deal, um, it, it comes with its own host of challenges. Um, so yeah, we we are definitely working towards complete bikes. It is something that's on our you know it's something we talk about every time we you know we have a Skype call and. We have some plans in place, but again, nothing's nailed down and concrete just yet as to exactly how we'll do it. Um, so once we, and, and I think, you know, for us, we need to get the business to a point, you know, a certain size before we can afford to, to do it, mm-hmm. uh, even from, you know, from an operational point of view. Um, there, there seems to be this magic sweet spot of, of volume that allows you to fill a container or allows you to do you know it opens up a whole pile of options and that's the struggle you know for us we're we're trying to put plans in place to allow us to get to that point so that it opens the opens the door for many other opportunities um, and we you know we need to be careful not to try and do too much too soon um otherwise exactly we'll fall on our face yeah, that's true. It's all economies of scale, but it's it's mm. difficult just to get like you say the sweet spot and that you know yeah yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah yeah for sure. Yeah, it's very exciting, man. It's very exciting, and I know, I know Australia, New Zealand, and Tasmania, and all. I know they're blowing up as far as mountain biking goes. It's yeah. getting so popular out there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And you, see, you know, they're they're such a big um, part of the industry as far as the races and events that go on out there now, and even the athletes. You have so many, you know, super fast athletes coming from the from that area. So it's mm-hmm. yeah, it's. It's good to see that there's a bit of demand out there, and and it's funny. No matter where we look, there's somebody that's heard of the bikes and someone that that wants to you know inquire about buying a frame. So that's a real positive sign. But yeah, it's just it's a big, big world, and we're operating out of you know a bedroom in Belfast and a, you know another bedroom in, in Canada. So it's it's the you know it's a it's a big operation for us to tackle, and that's that's probably our biggest problem is we now need to scale. We need to bring on some extra staff to try and help us you know, to, 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 to handle those things. Cause you know, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, all the conversations, all the, you know, I'm having Skype calls every day with so many different time zones. You know, I used to think I was busy when I was at New Proof when I just had to worry about Taiwan, but you know, I've got New Zealand in the morning, then I've got Taiwan after that, then I'm on UK time and now I'm, then I'm talking to Canada in the evenings, you know, it's a very busy, and I'm, and I'm, you know, I'm trying to make sure that all the, the Redburn clients are getting serviced in between that as well, you know, so it's, it's a yeah big juggling act for sure. Yeah. So you're, you know, I wanted to speak to you about Redburn, but we have kind of just went down this forbidden alley and we've got stuck here. Yeah. Uh, but you see, but you're, you see, I didn't realize that you were so ingrained in the forbidden brand. So you are basically a founder of it. Yeah. 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 So, um, 
yeah, so you're still involved 100% with it. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, 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 for sure. And it's you know it's it's tricky to split my time. You know my 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 goal was always to start Redburn. That's my that's my baby. Essentially, that's my business that I want to you know to grow and for it to to do the service. And you know, Forbidden came along at the time, and it didn't you know it didn't have necessarily the the investment or the cash at the start to be able to just hire you know hire mm-hmm. me as a or hire Redburn as a as a you know consultancy firm so you know we came to a different agreement with the whole thing and just as time has gone on it's just it's just grown and developed and you know I don't think either of us would have seen it necessarily going that way at the very start but um that's that's the path that it's taken essentially yeah yeah wow it's it's crazy man how things happen in it yeah yeah, but that that's cool. Um, so you're going to stick with Forbidden anyway. You you're going to see it through and yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, I don't know what the what the end goal is for for myself with it or for Forbidden, you know, just yet. But you know, I'm enjoying I'm enjoying the journey, and you know, while I'm still while I'm still adding value to the business, I'll stick to it. If it gets to the point where it no longer needs me or whatever, you know, maybe maybe things will change then. But I you know I I don't know. It depends. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm learning so much about myself over time now that you know different things you know like I said when we spoke earlier on about you know my family's growing I've got different you know people fighting for my time you know mm-hmm. be it business or family or whatever else and I'm, I just need to try and juggle all that and it might get to the point where where I don't you know I don't want to have you know so much work on that I'm that I'm working mm-hmm. flat out and over weekends you know so so things may change further down the line but not for yeah. the, not for the next couple of years i'm really i'm really pleased with where forbidden's at and the path that it's on and i'm really really pleased with where redburn's at and the path that it's on so um yeah no no need to to, to change too much very cool Just, very cool well let's chat briefly about redburn then um yeah so you're who, can you tell us any of the other brands you're working with at the minute or um some of them yeah so there's um, there's another project I'm doing. Um, they've just, it's, it's an existing company. Um, and I've been working with them from not long after I started Redburn, um, and the project's been renewed. Um, and they, they've, they're launching essentially a new, a new bike brand. Um, mm-hmm. so it's going to be called Privateer Bikes. Uh, their website's mm-hmm. privateerbikes.com. You can find it a little bit more, more there. Um, but they, yeah, they approached me and, and they wanted to introduce, uh, you know, a, a mountain bike product into their, into their already existing, uh, company structure. And they, they, they already sell a whole pile of other products in road and MTB and, and, and uh, you know, do those segments, um, mm-hmm. a really, really interesting business, really successful business for, for the age of it. It's not very old. It's only a couple of years old. Um, and the guys that own it and run it are, really interesting guys um so they they, yeah they approached me and uh they wanted to they wanted me to help with this this mtb project so it's basically been the design of an enduro um enduro frame and Mm -hmm. they're gonna they're gonna launch and introduce at some point this year so that's been yeah that's been interesting and then there's there's a guy slightly odd story but uh, a guy called jack from the south of ireland who now lives in vietnam and uh he he, he he did yeah he started a, a small fixie business um out of Dublin a lot of years ago so he with the, I think with the help of some family members you know to to kind of loan him a few a few pounds to mm-hmm. together he um he ordered a container load of of fixie bikes and has been selling those down in, in the south of Ireland and that's 
that's grown into a really big business. So his next venture is that he he approached me and he wanted to he wanted me to help him with a uh, what would you call it um, a smart a smart bike a smart e bike. Um, mm-hmm. That's kind of where he's going with that. So the company's called Base Bicycles. Um, he's living out in Vietnam and he's built he's he's built a team out there of you know sales, marketing, um, assembly, and you know R and D guys. Wow. Uh, there, yeah, and, and the guy, he's Jack's only 21 or 22. What? Yeah, yeah, super young guy, and uh, it's a really interesting story. I quite like, I, you know, uh, yeah, I quite like him, and um, so I've been helping him with that because it's from a point of view of a little bit of design, a little bit of the product design, but also mostly the the introduction to suppliers and factories that can help him make the parts that he's wanting to make, and, and you know, he's making not just bikes but he's making bags and all sorts of other smart equipment and you know but uh, the project that i'm helping him with is is a yeah it's a fully integrated e electrical bike but with smart navigation and lights and all sorts of stuff um mm-hmm. yeah it'll be it'll be a fancy piece of kit um and i think he's i think he's getting on well with it i think it's he's at the sort of first sample phase now he's got rideable samples and he's he's got his crew of crazy engineers tucked away in his apartment wiring lights into it now. <laughs> but, but really you know a, a proper startup um but actually really interesting and really you know I, i'm learning i'm learning a lot from him and his approach and i think hopefully he's learning a lot from from me and from redburn um but yeah it's an interesting one there's been a couple of other clients as well smaller clients in the uk that have helped with there's a you know there's there's products that are due for launch in the next i think couple of months Mm-hmm. there and some of those have just been you know helping them find a factory or helping them design a, a product and or spec a product that's being you know already made in a factory somewhere so lots of little bits and bits and pieces going um going on there yeah that's crazy and i suppose everything is like all this stuff when somebody comes to you and says they need your help and you can be assured it's going to be something new that you haven't really yeah. dealt you know so you're learning all the time yeah, yeah, and and I've been, you know I've been approached by a couple of companies and the timing just hasn't been right. You know they've come and said right, this is what we think we want to do, and then I'll go right, hold on, let me think about that, and I'll I'll ask and I'll try and learn a bit more about their business to see is it you know do I think it's a good you know and I'm not an expert on this stuff. It's not for me to tell them that how to run their business, but you know they've obviously approached me for some sort of advice and feedback. So I'll you know what I'll do is give them, I guess my assessment on you know where where their business is at and how their new you know their proposed project might fit with that um and some of those i've had to sort of i just haven't had the capacity for them you know i'm still a one-man band at the minute and i have so Mm -hmm. much going on you know as much as i'd love to take on more more challenge you know more tasks and projects i don't think it's fair on the the you know the the clients that i do have now because you know we we all agree a certain amount of effort and time that's spent and generally I'll end up working more than that on the projects anyway, just because I want them to be as good, especially for such a young, for Redburn being such a young company, you know, my reputation's on the line. So I, you know, I need mm-hmm. to go above and beyond to make sure that those projects are delivered um, as, as best as possible. Um, so yeah. that's a little bit frustrating. And, and But then sometimes you get a client that comes in and said, this is what we want to do. Um, and I, I, you know, I, I think, I don't know if that's a, a good fit or, you know, I think you've underestimated maybe the, the scale of what you're asking to be done. You know, that can't be done in, in six months and delivered, you know, that's, that's a two year project or, you know, and it's going to incur these costs, you know, so I'm, I'm getting better at being able to, 
to feed that back quickly to a customer and say, right, here's an overall summary. But you know, I, I do a lot of work, a lot of unpaid work as well. You know, you, you put proposals back to a company and say, well, okay, you've asked me to to come on board and help you with this. This is my proposal on how it could look. And you know, sometimes they go, oh, okay, well, I didn't realize it would be as complex as that or this, you know, mm-hmm. and then nothing comes from it. But that's, I think that's just part of of running a you know a, a design and consultancy business as well. Yeah, yeah, certainly. Like, do you do you get contacted by startups mainly, or is it more established businesses that want to add to to their product range, or you know, is it yeah. somebody? No, you know, is it like MTB Tribe coming and saying, "I want to produce, <laughs> I don't know, knee pads or something"? You know. Yeah, I have that. I've had that from a couple of people, but um, you know, it doesn't take much to kind of. Scare, not scare them off but tell them okay this is the scale of it and they go oh all right i hadn't thought about that but most of the people that most of the clients that do come and and, and ask for some assistance they are existing businesses um but they you know they're looking to diversify you know they're trying to either enter a new category or develop a new product that's outside of their you know the base of skills that they've got if that makes sense mm-hmm. you know they might have a team that are really good at developing bike lights or something but they want to create you know a range of saddles you know or whatever for toxic mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and it's two different skills so that most of the people that come are, are in that camp you know where they're saying right we've got a business infrastructure be it it might be in its infancy or or it might be slightly more developed but we want to get into this segment now can you help us with that and those are the sorts of clients that work well for me you know because i can i can you know steer them and, and guide them and offer my support be it through design or consultancy and then they've they've got the business there to back it up and and they can and, and also they can afford to hire the you know hire my my services for that you know it's very tricky when someone comes and says i want you to help me do this and i say right okay well here's here's a bit of here's a bit of pricing structure for you and they go oh right okay hold on i didn't realize i had to pay for that you know that mm-hmm. can be can be tricky because you don't want to see someone you know, everyone needs a bit of help, but it, you know, I have to remember that I'm running, I'm running a business, and it needs to feed my family as well. So, of course, yeah, of course. Now I'm a bit aware of time because I know you're a busy man. Um, certainly with all the stuff we've got going on there. Um, but the the bike industry in general, Alistair, how yeah. do you th- how do you think it's going? Like you're you're certainly tapped into it. You know, do do you find that some brands may fall by the wayside um you know do you think do you think has it reached a peak yet is are we going to see some guys go go belly up no i don't think so i don't think it's reached the peak i think it's in a it's in an interesting time now obviously there's been a lot of hype about e-bikes and a lot of the bigger companies you know it's become very apparent that the bigger companies have basically taken their their r&d departments off normal bikes and said forget about all that rubbish I want you to develop a full range of e-bikes now and really put effort into that. And those companies have invested heavily in that. And what that that's been that's been good for them. I think they've seen huge growth. And these are the big companies that have shareholders and have people they have to please and they have to be growing and growing and growing every year. So they're always looking for that next best thing. And and mm-hmm. that doesn't necessarily mean that the customer gets the best service because you know they're they're just being sold the next thing. And especially with e-bikes when the technology moves is moving so quickly. Um, you know, you're, you you buy a bike this year, and in 12 or 18 months, it might be old news. You know, there might be a replacement there. Yeah. So what that's done is created a vacuum, I think, for you know, normal bikes. You know, pedal bikes below that, and it's it's allowed people to be a little bit more adventurous with those. And you'll see that with the downhill World Cup. There's been I don't know how many new bikes have just been developed and raced 
that have a high pivot or have a new technology with you know or something like that you know so this vacuum is very much apparent and i think it's helping the likes of forbidden it's helping smaller companies to capitalize on that those that are switched on and can see it they could you know they can they can i guess re rethink their their approach to things and try and offer a product that is not an e-bike but it is adding some sort of advantage or benefit to those customers that have been almost left with nothing you know the customers there that they want to buy a bike every two years you know and and if they've got a Santa Cruz at the minute and, and in two years time they're looking to change it, well, the only option if they want something new might be to go for an e-bike, but they might, you know, they might not want that. So I think there's this area now where people can really offer a technical advantage and a better product to that, to that customer. But in general, I think the cycle industry, the market is, is still thriving. You know, it's still doing really well, especially in the off-road segment. I'm not so sure about road, but mm-hmm. you know, you've got the development of gravel as a category now that, you know, never really existed before. People thought it was cyclocross and then they thought it was road. Then they started putting, you know, that that's really booming. And that I think is helping people that, you know, that's almost helping the mountain bike segment as well. Cause it's bringing more people across from, from road because they've realized that it's too dangerous to ride around the road um, in certain countries. So they get a gravel bike, they go, Oh, cheapers. This is, this is, this is incredible. I'm riding wherever I want. I've no traffic to contend with, you know, and those people then, the next logical stepping stone for them is to say, well, okay, I've already been riding off road. I want to get a hardtail and go mountain biking. And they've all these trail centers that have popped up in this country and this, around the world. So to me, it's just, it just feels like we're in a really good place with everything. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. The e-bike certainly is, is taking the world by storm. Yeah, <laughs> it is. Yeah. And they're Britain. They are fantastic. And they, you know, they, but they are advancing so quickly. You know, I, I actually bought one recently um, and, I love it to pieces. You really do enjoy it, but I, I sort of think in a year's time there's going to be, you know, the battery's going to be half the size, the motors are going to weigh half as much, you know. And I think, mm. but yeah, it is what it, it is, what it is. And uh, yeah, I, I think it's, you know, the whole the whole industry is very, I think, is very healthy right now. I don't know about, you know, startups and companies how they're how they're all doing, but um, certainly from 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 what I'm seeing, there are guys there that are really, you know, there's there's good growth there and they're all, they're all making, they're all excited to make products that are, that are good for the customer. Aye, perfect, man. Perfect. Well, listen, I'm going to let you go, sir, and um, answer a lot of emails I'm sure you've got within the last hour. <laughs> watching them filter in. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. Uh, so is there anything else you want to tell us about Redburn Design before you go? Um, how can people get in contact? Or if somebody's wanting your, your services, how's best to go yeah, well, uh, contacting yeah. you? All the details are on the website, redburndesign.com, um, and you can get my own email, alistair at redburndesign.com. Uh, and that's that's kind of it. I'm not very good at the social media stuff because I've been I've had no time <laughs> I've had no time to do it I sort of feel bad if I try and put a an Instagram post up or something like that um so yeah just just check the check the website and and uh yeah you can find out all the details there but hopefully I'll be able to talk a bit more about some of the other projects that are starting to come out uh, over the next I mean last time last time we spoke Gareth there was very little I could talk about yeah so, but there's you know a whole pile of clients works and projects are are nearing launch now so it'll be really you know the next sort of six months should be really exciting aye no that's good on on things yeah yeah definitely no and um it's awesome that you've you've continued on from your nuke proof days and you're doing stuff now and the forbidden brand is a real cool brand like it is a real real nice how did you come up with a name for that Uh, we were trying to get on that flight, and we <laughs> we needed a name to tell the factory. Uh, <laughs> no, 
we, uh, we we struggled and struggled and struggled to find names. We went through. I had, there's a list somewhere of I don't know how many names that we we couldn't agree on, and and then I think Owen suggested he where he lives in in Vancouver Island. There's a there's a local riding spot, um, and it's called the Forbidden Plateau, um, and I think there's some really incredible trails out there. So he was telling me about this, and as soon as he said the word forbidden, I thought, oh well, I used to ride when I used to when I was growing up. Um, I would ride at Helen's Tower, and there's a trail there called Forbidden. Uh, so mm-hmm. as soon as you said the name, I thought sold. We'll go with that. <laughs> it, uh, it has a it has a meaning for both of us. So we, yeah, so we went from there and uh, stuck with it. <laughs> Aye, that's cool. And did you design the logo and all? And no, I think Owen did that at the time. So he right. yeah, he, he likes to think of himself as a bit of a graphic designer, um, stroke engineer. So he yeah, he he did a lot of that. There's another girl called Sam that helps us with the with our graphic design over in Canada. Um, she's local to, to where Owen lives. So um, I think she I think he maybe designed it and she tidied it up or something like that. But right, yeah, quite a creative run bunch over there. Cool, man. Cool. Well, listen, all success in the future, dude. And um, I certainly will keep in touch and we'll get you on another year or so to see what else you've been up to. Yeah, yeah let's do that. 12 months. I'll sit there. I'll stick it in the calendar. <laughs> listen, stuff, thanks very stuff. much for the opportunity, Gary. Cheers, Alistair. All the best, bud. Thanks. Talk to you soon. That's a wrap for episode number 92, folks. I hope you enjoyed that. And thanks so much for listening. And Alistair, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. I really do enjoy our chats. And um, you better hope I never show up at your house some evening or something because I'm going to be there all night chatting to you about this stuff. I just love it. I'm such a nerd when it comes to all that kind of thing. So um, well done, man. I'm, I'm so happy that everything's going well for you there. Um, obviously, you're putting in the work that shows your success, but uh, well done. And um, that Forbidden brand looks amazing. And I hope it goes from strength to strength. So thanks so much for coming on. Now, folks, if you want to know more about Alistair, about Redburn Design, about Forbidden, just go to the show notes. You'll find them at mtb-tribe.com and just search for Alistair's episode number 92 and you will get quick links to stuff that Alistair's doing, all his socials and things like that so you can keep tabs on what's happening with Redburn Design and Forbidden, etc. So I'm sure Alistair would be appreciative of that. Now, if you want to help support the show, the best way to do that is subscribing, rating and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts. Every one of your ratings helps boost us on Apple's algorithms and help spread the word about the show to more people. If you're not on Apple, don't worry, you can find us and subscribe via Stitcher, Spotify and Podbean. We also have a website, mtb-tribe.com, where you can find the complete back catalogue, listen and download every show. It's all free, folks, it's all free. You can also subscribe there. You'll get one email a week and a quick synopsis, an easy link to listen to that week's show with a small insight into who's going to be on the show and what you can expect. Now, you can also get involved, obviously, on the old social medias. (laughs) We are on Instagram and Facebook at MTB Tribe. And you can take screenshots and help share the show that way. I would much, much appreciate it. Now, don't forget, there's a couple of offers for you guys, the MTB Tribe podcast listeners. First, you can get 10% off your first ride with the Trail Unknown guys. And um, they're coming on the podcast next week, hopefully now, next week, to update us on what's been happen, happening with those guys. Um, so take advantage and get 10% off your first ride. All you have to do is email the guys uh, about what trip you're interested in and mention the discount code MTB Tribe Unknown. 
The discount code is available for all 2019 trips. It's that simple. You will find all the details you need to know on the MTB Tribe resources page. So just go there and you will get more information on that. Now also, you can get 50% off Strength Factory deal with the strengthfactory.uk. Ben at the Strength Factory there has offered a special deal for all MTV Tribe podcast listeners. You get 50% off your first month's subscription with the Strength Factory's strength and conditioning program. And again, just go to the MTB Tribe podcast resources pages and you will get more information on that. Again, it's just as simple as entering the promo code TRIBESTRONG at checkout and you will get 50% off your first month's subscription. Now, that's only valid until the 15th of July 2019, so you've got about three weeks or so if you want to take a look at that and check out Ben's courses they are amazing I can um, definitely say that you will be faster and fitter on the trail that is for sure and you'll be waiting on all your mates so it's always a good feeling eh? <laughs> so folks thanks so much for tuning in to the MTB Tribe podcast I will be about next week with another episode but until then I hope you go out on your bike I hope you have some good times with your friends and enjoy the ride see you next week <laughs>